Good afternoon, everyone. We're going to look at John chapter 5, verses 15 through 24. John chapter 5, verses 15 through 24. The title of the sermon is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God. Reading from verse 15. A man, remember last week, we saw the the invalid that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working now, until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raised, raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he wills. For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your, your word we can see you. We can know who you are. Understand some aspects of who you are, your character in the way that you, re you reveal yourself to us. And we pray that that would happen today as we look at this passage and see Jesus, the Son of God, that we will see Christ, we will see the Father, and uh, it will not only help us to know you more, but in our hearts that we would marvel and uh, appreciate your great love for us character. Be with us during this time, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, just a very simple title, Jesus, the Son of God, because this passage gives us a just a, a closer look at who Jesus is. Uh, the Son of God. Jesus and the Father. The relationship that they have gives us a, a closer inside look into that relationship. I recently, in, I guess in recent weeks, saw this uh, series, a Netflix series called The Crown. And uh, what that is, is it's a, it's a look at the, the three generations of the royal family from King George to Queen Elizabeth to Prince Charles and Princess Diana and 
different gen- it probably covers about 70 years of British history and kind of digs in, into some of the, the ma- major events during that time. And through the series, there's been four, there have been four uh, seasons so far. And through the series, you really get an inside look into the royal family. I mean, granted, not everything is true, right? Like it's a TV show. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, you watch the show, you watch the episode, and then like you look up how much of it was true and things like that. So in some sense, it gives you an inside look into the royal family. And one thing that becomes clear through the portrayal in this series of this family was that there was a lot of dysfunction in this family. A family that looked so majestic, you know, uh, with their fine clothing. Family that looked so mysterious from the outside. They had a lot of problems when you saw this family from the inside. And uh, the fact that they had a lot of problems made for good TV. It's very interesting. I think this passage is kind of like that in the sense that we get an inside look into the mysterious father-son Godhead relationship. But of course, unlike any human family, this relationship is truly majestic, perfect. And that's what we're going to see through this passage. Um, So, Four things about Jesus, the Son of God. First, Jesus, equal with God. Secondly, Jesus, submissive to the Father. Thirdly, Jesus, loved by the Father. Fourthly, Jesus, one with the Father. Um, So first, Jesus, okay, I said Jesus equal with God. Let's, for symmetry's sake, let's call that Jesus equal with the Father. Jesus equal with the Father. Again, verse 17, it says, Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Jews initially had a problem with Jesus healing the invalid on the Sabbath. But then Jesus took this opportunity to now explain who he is. And he said, My father is working until now, and I am working. The Sabbath, the Sabbath rest, of course, is commanded in the law. But God is always at work. He's at work sustaining his creation. So when Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working, the implication there is that Jesus and God are are the same. They're on the same level. That Jesus has the same rights that God has to work as God works. And on top of that, Jesus calls God his Father. So the Jews rightly conclude that Jesus was making himself equal with God. And then it says in verse 19, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So we see in this verse also that Jesus is claiming equality with God because the fact that Jesus can do whatever the Father does, that's what he says, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The fact that Jesus can do whatever the Father does means that he's as great, as capable as the Father. 
Now, this, of course, does not mean that Jesus is another God or that Jesus is a competing God or something like that. It does mean that Jesus is equal with God in his essence, in his nature, in his being. That's why later on in verse 23, it says, all that, may, uh, that, all may, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So we see here that because Jesus is equal with God, and that's the only reason you can say this, because Jesus is equal with God, he is due the same honor as the Father. Jesus is equal with the Father. Okay? So secondly, Jesus submissive to the Father. Now the fact that Jesus is equal with God does not mean that Jesus is exactly the same as the Father. And verse 19 shows us the distinction. Again, 19, so Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, he says. And that means that the Son does nothing on his own initiative. The Son is equal with the Father, but the Son is submissive to the Father. So we see here that the Father and Son, even though they're equal in being and essence and value, but at the same time, the Father-Son relationship is not reciprocal. The Son only does what he sees the Father doing and it's not the other way around. The Father does not do only what he sees the Son doing. It's the Son who only does what the Father is doing. So the Father and Son are equal in greatness. They deserve equal rights, honor, but the Father and Son have different functions. Jesus is submissive to the Father. D.A. Carson says, the Father initiates, and so these are some of the distinctions in their roles, right? The Father initiates, sends, commands, commissions, grants. The Son responds obeys, performs his Father's will, receives authority. So, same in equal, yet distinct in their functions. I think it's worth mentioning, just even as an application, that this is the foundation of our understanding of the roles in, in the Christian marriage um, between a husband and wife, as laid out in the Bible. The man and woman in marriage are equal beings, equal in being, in essence, I mean, uh, in dignity, in value, equal as souls made in the image of God. And as God's image bearers, both called to serve God. But the man and woman in marriage are distinct in their functions as assigned by God. The husband is called to initiate, and the wife is called to submit. And as husband and wife, both equal in value and dignity, follow God's blueprint and function in appropriate roles, that marriage pictures God to the world. Now, no matter how much we understand 
doctrines like these in the Bible, like we understand it in our minds because we see what the verses say, at the same time, there's an aspect of this that remains a mystery to us, right? And that's why we ask questions. Isn't leadership power? How is leadership an act of service? Isn't submission weakness? How is submission beautiful? And we raise these questions, and that's why we many times still have problems with things like roles in a marriage according to what the Bible says, because we don't understand the divine. You know, I look at the TV show, The Crown, and I think, you know, I look at it and then, you know, I, I think to myself, oh, I get it, right? As a show is kind of uh, revealing the dysfunctions in the royal family, oh, I get it. I see why she did that. So even though, again, like they look majestic on the outside, clothed in fine clothing and all of those things, they're still sinners on the inside. So as, as I see that, I understand. I understand what's going on here. But now when I look at the father-son relationship, even when I'm given an inside look into passages like this, many times I think, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't understand how this works because I'm a sinner trying to comprehend the divine. In, in such, in, in the way that this Godhead relationship works, they're equal, but they're different. They're equal in their essence and in dignity, yet there's a difference in their function and somehow in that, in that, in the, in the role of the Father and the Son and the Godhead, submission is not weakness, but it's beautiful. Leadership is not power, but is an act of service. And as sinners that are given a glimpse into the Godhead, we look at that and we go, we don't understand the divine. But that's what we see in this passage: the Father and Son equal but Jesus is submissive to the Father and that is good thirdly Jesus loved by the Father Jesus loved by the Father verse 20 for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel so the love the love in the Godhead is the same, right? The father loves the son and the son loves the father. But the way they show that love, like we said in the difference in roles and function, the way they show that love is different. The father loves the son and it says, shows him all that he's doing. And the son loves the father and obeys perfectly, ultimately at the cross. And in that distinction, we see here limitations that the son takes on himself. The father, it says, has shown him some things, but greater works will he show him later. In other words, in some ways, the son has limits in his knowledge of the father's will. Although the son is equal with the father, the son in his salvation work has taken on human nature. 
and therefore in his human nature, he has the limitations common to man. And that's why, for example, when Jesus prays at the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, if it is possible, right? He prays to the Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. So in some ways, there are limitations to his knowledge. Jesus also says, Matthew 24, 36, concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So Jesus is equal with God, but the Son takes on a human nature, nature and along with that, its limitations. And he did that, we're told, out of his love and obedience to the Father. So, we see that God's salvation plan is ultimately fueled by the love and the Godhead. And this is, you know, significant for us because, like, we get excited about verses like John 3, 16, right? Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we get excited about that because, wow, God saved us because he loves us. God sent his son because he loves me. And that's true. But, but the way that we think about the salvation plan that God orchestrated, like we are at the center of it. For God so loved the world because God so loved me. I'm at the center because God loved me. He saved me and sent Jesus. And that's not true. We are not at the center of the salvation story. The Father initiates and reveals His salvation plan to the Son out of His love for the Son, it says. And the Son obeys to the cross out of his love for the Father. It's kind of like children in the family being greatly loved by the parents because of the love the husband and wife have for each other. And this is why there is a salvation plan. It's not because we are lovable, you see. It's not because we're so great that God saved us, but it's because God is love. And this is also why he will continue to love the unlovable, not because of anything we do or don't do, but because God is love. The very reason why God initiated the salvation plan through Jesus Christ made that revelation to the Son is because of His love for the Son. The reason why the Son obeyed to the cross is because of His love for the Father. And for that same reason, God loves us today. Fourthly, lastly, Jesus won with the Father. Jesus won with the Father. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He wills. Now this, this verse, clearly, this verse along with this entire passage, clear, clearly shows us the oneness of the Father and the Son, right? Verse 19 earlier said that the Son can do nothing of His own accord. The Son doesn't initiate anything by Himself. But here it says that the Son gives life to whom he wills. So that has to mean that the sons, um, the sons, his will, his desire, 
the, the things that he does is completely one with the Father, right? Right? That has, if, if there's, because there's such a oneness with the Father, that even though the Son does nothing by himself, as the Father gives them life, the Son gives life to whom he wills, because the Father and the Son are one. And we see an example of this as Jesus chooses that one particular man, the invalid, to whom um, he will uh, say, get up. Out of many by the pool, Jesus chooses that one because the Son gives life to whom he wills, even though he does nothing on his own because the Father and Son are one. 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all by that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So the Father and Son are one. Jesus says, the Father is working, I am working. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father gives life, the Son gives life. If you don't honor the Son, then you don't honor the Father. The Father and Son are completely one. So that means, and that has to mean, one of the implications is that the Son reveals the Father. That means, right, it has to mean that, that when we see the Son, we see the Father, because the Son is the exact representation of the Father. And because the Father and the Son are one, that is why Jesus is able to say, finally in verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus is saying, this is the way to life. If you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. If you hear my words, you're listening to the Father who sent me. And if you believe me, if you believe me, you have eternal life because these are the very words of the one who has initiated and orchestrate, orchestrated this salvation plan. These are the true words that come from the Father in heaven. If you hear my words and believe me, you have eternal life from God the Father. Um, I came across a song this week called, the song is called, I Hope. (laughs) Just out of curiosity, how many know this song? Okay, so, I hope I get this song is the number one song in the, the country charts today. It's number one, very popular. And you don't know it because you don't listen to country music, I guess, right? But it's been the number one song for, for a while now. And you know, like you listen to the, the title of the song, I hope, it sounds like something very positive and very encouraging, I hope. But this is what the song is about. The singer of the song is singing this song to her former boyfriend and she basically says i hope and that therefore the title i hope your new girlfriend is great and you know in a very poetic storytelling kind of way that country songs are known for um, 
she communicates this through these lyrics, right? The song says, I hope she makes you smile the way I smiled when I was on the other end of the phone with you. I hope she makes you smile like that. I hope you feel the sparks. I hope you're so happy. You're so happy that you tell all your friends just how happy you are. I hope she's so great that, that she wrecks every one of your plans. Because, right, like you had your own plans, but now like together she wrecked it. Like you're going to go a different direction. She's, she's so great. I hope you spend your last dime to put a rock on her hand. And then after that, like the song kind of like takes a turn, an unexpected turn. And then the song says, and then I hope she cheats like you did on me. I was like, wow, the song is savage, man. <laughs> wow. Right? Wow. Like such positivity. And then I hope she cheats. But that's not the most savage part. The song continues. It goes, I hope you stay up all night alone, waiting by the phone. And then she calls. And I hope you work it out. I hope you forgive. And just about forget, you take her on a first date again. <laughs> and then, you know, the chorus repeats, right? And I hope you're happy. I hope she's wild and wilder than your wildest dreams. And then I hope she cheats like you did on me. And so I guess like the person has been cheated on by this person repeatedly. So I hope she cheats like you did on me. And then it says, I hope it goes and comes all the way around. <laughs> I hope she makes you feel the same way about her that I feel about you right now. So basically, this is a song of vengeance, you know? And I, I, I listened to that. I was like, wow, this is so terrible. It's so terrible to wish something like that on someone. But I get it, right? Like this person feels so hurt and is so devastated at what that other person did to her that she wishes harm on her ex. Now I was thinking, the reason why this song is so relevant to each one of us is because this is a song this is a song that Jesus can sing to each one of us. Because this is the plot of God's love story with us. Right? He loved us so well. He was so in love with us. And we made all of these promises to God. And then we cheated. And then we come back to God. We repented. We worked it out. And then we cheated again. One idol after another. But you see, in God's love story, He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't curse us or wish us harm. He just keeps on loving and invites us back, even after our idols fail to keep His promises. Why? Because God is love. You see, the Father initiated a redemption plan through the Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hear my words. Hear my words because I and the Father are one. 
when you hear my words, you're hearing the very words of the Father, Father who sent me, the one who initiated this grand cosmic redemption plan. And if you believe my words, you can have forgiveness. You can abide by the Father. You can be loved by the Father as if you've never cheated. Cheaters can pass from death to life. Cheaters can have eternal life. And that is because of God's love in Jesus Christ because God is love. Let's pray together. Hopefully, a passage like this can help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and our own circumstances and help us to really see Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, the very image of God in likeness with the Father. Get a window into what's what's going on in the heavenly family. And Jesus shows us that God is love. The Father in His great love for the Son. The Son in His perfect obedience and love for the Father. Ultimately leading to a salvation plan that culminates at the cross of Jesus Christ. It really had nothing to do with us had nothing to do with our character, our good, our bad, many times even though that's the, the primary thing in our minds. But uh, to cheaters, to undeserving sinners, He loves us because God is love. So let's look at God, let's look at Jesus, the Son of God, and we should marvel. We should just be enthralled by the, the beauty of His Majesty. So let's do that. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we do that, we receive His love. Let's pray for a moment before we close with the song. Okay, let's pray together. Okay, um, just to... I guess this is worth mentioning one thing I tell my kids about like when they play basketball is not to get high or low after one game right because you can always have a good game you can always have a bad game but that's not how you gauge your progress it's really uh, the, the, the work you put into it how much your time you're, you're disciplining yourself to get into the gym to practice and it's like you need to have a long-term perspective about progress instead of you know, getting high or getting low, missed shot, made shot, things like that, like looking at stats, things like that. I think that principle equally applies to the approach that we need to have in our Christian lives. A lot of times we get high or low depending on like, if I had a good day, bad day, if I sinned, didn't sin, if I read my Bible, didn't read my Bible, I go to a retreat or something, feel incredibly loved by God, I go through a dry spell when I don't feel loved by God, you know, we go through highs and lows like that, where um, like the shot I made is at the center of how I feel, right? But um, what I did, like the quiet time that I had, or um, the things I didn't do, whatever, becomes the center of how I feel about myself. 
but rather the approach needs to be exactly what this passage is telling us. Like, look at Christ. The, the long-term, big-picture perspective of the believer's life is look at Christ and see His beauty, uh, see His great love in who He is, which has nothing to do with me, my lovability, or what I do, or anything like that, um, which is about completely only about who He is. Look at Christ, the, the beauty of the, the, the Godhead relationship. And uh, over the course of time, as I get to know God better, as I really, uh, it, it really saturates into my heart that uh, God truly is love, independent of who I am. Um, that this, this, uh, the words of Jesus Christ is real. That's really the the Father's words for me. Then, that that's where progress happens. That's where intimacy comes. That's where we begin to like hate the world and begin to love God, and, and um, change takes. Place from the inside out um, and uh, I think that's really the, the beauty of passages like this initially you look at it and, and for me too I looked at this passage oh man what is it saying it's just like so so um, profound like it doesn't say just pray or read the Bible or something like that you know and so that's easy to connect with but it's just talking about who Jesus is what am I supposed to take away from that? But that's really ultimately the, the thing that nourishes us when we behold Christ and we you know, move aside and not become the center of the, the salvation plan, but we see Christ as being the center of it and we just behold His beauty, how incredibly awesome He is, and slowly but surely you become a better basketball player. You become a better follower of Christ follower of Christ right? so so that's kind of what I learned from this from this passage this week and pray that as we meditate on his word even through life group this week that it, that it happened in our hearts Heavenly Father we thank you for your word thank you for your great love for us we thank you for the revelation of who you are through uh, Jesus Christ the perfect representation of your being we pray that you would help us to see you more clearly through your word us to behold Christ. We pray that we would be enthralled, that slowly but surely we would be less and less impressed by the false idols in this world with their empty promises. We would be more and more inclined to be devoted to follow Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, incredible, unchanging covenant love of the Father God, and the fellowship strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever.